Hey guys, good to see everybody. Um, it's always a joy for me to talk about worship. Um, and uh, we're going to actually, on October 18th, have a worship-focused service. And uh, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be all about worship. We're going to be doing a lot of singing, a lot of teaching. So this is kind of the prelude to that, if you will. Um, so this is kind of to set that up just a little bit. And uh, yeah, we're just going to dive right into it. And um, so it's interesting. I think um, I've been part of worship leadership for 25 years in the church or more, hmm. probably more. And, um, you know, I'm a keyboard player and I, I lead some singing and, and do some arranging, that kind of thing. Yet at times I feel like I'm the least qualified person to lead stuff about worship. Part of that is because I've been on stages playing my whole life, so I have a very analytical attitude when I'm doing anything publicly, musically. All I can think about is, is my pitch right? Did I play the right chord? Did the person next to me play the right chord? That kind of thing. And it, it, can, it takes me out of the heart of worship. Okay, And I think there's a lot of different things that can take us out of a heart of worship. Uh, you know, um, especially coming into a, we're not meeting in a cathedral. We're not meeting at the base of a mountain. You know, we're, uh, we're, we're not necessarily, I mean, this is a very nice place, don't get me wrong, but it maybe is not the thing that when you walk and you're just like, I just want to fall on my knees and praise God for this ballroom right here in the Hilton. You know? How do we get that heart of worship? When we come together on Sundays, when we come together to celebrate who we are in God's sight, and when we come to celebrate God, and I think that can be challenging for some of us. It's challenging for me. But I want to start by making a case that worship is vitally important. And the Bible proves over and over again, historically, how important worship is. Did you know that there was worship at the very beginning of the church? You knew. Anyone else? In Acts 2, you can actually go there. Yeah, go, go back one, because that was a huge slide I, t- I took hours in making. Important, <laughs> important moments of worship in biblical history. I need a booming voice. I wish I had one. Um, okay, move on. Uh, so, in Acts 2... In the initiation of the church, in verse 5, it says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. But there is something ecstatic and exciting going on, right? right? You don't, you don't uh, accuse people of drunkenness if they're just sitting in a chair keeping to themselves. That person is totally drunk. How do you know? It's because they're carrying on in some way. There's some kind of commotion. 
And there was some sort of celebration here in the morning, right? And what was going on? There were people declaring the wonders of God in every tongue. And what is that? That's worship, right? So there was worship at the initiation of God's church. So how important is worship? It's foundational. It's foundational in the church. Let's go to the next next slide. I don't know if you're convinced that worship is foundational yet, so I'm going to give you a couple more scriptures. Luke 2, okay? In verse 8, we know this one from Christmas time. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. There are the angels worshiping at the heralding of the Savior coming to earth. Worship is foundational. Finally, let's go to Exodus 19. This is an interesting one. (coughs) This is the initiation of the law to Israel. This is prior to the Israelites receiving the law. And what did God do? We're not going to read it, but he instructed the Israelites to consecrate themselves for three days and wash their clothes. He said, you're going to come meet me at a base of a mountain, but I need you to prep. You can't just show up today at three. I need you to prep for three full days to meet with me. And this was the culmination of it in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. That's a worship service. That's a worship service. I want you to think, what if, in order for us to worship, we had to consecrate ourselves for three days? What if our worship service every Sunday was going to Mount Mansfield? All right. Huh? Yeah. Go to Mount... Yeah, I still haven't been there. Um, yeah. Go to the base of Mount Mansfield. And watch a cloud descend. Imagine this. Watching a cloud descend. The closest I've come to this is going zip lining off of the top of snow. Let's do it. <laughs> we rode the gondola up to the top of snow, snow and there was, a, there was cloud cover. And it was the most spectacular thing. Because you run in that gondola up, it was me and my son Derek and my father-in-law Peter. 
And we're in this gondola, and you're just descending into that, you're ascending <laughs> into the heavens. You, you don't even have a sense of motion at some point. You're just going up, and you appear at the top of the mountain. And then when we got on that zip line, and we're zipping down, we were in a cloud. And you, you barely have a sense of motion when you start, you just hear And, you know, you feel a little bit of air, and then all of a sudden the cloud parts, and you're looking 100 feet down, and it freaks you out. But to see a cloud cover the top of Stowe was spectacular. And to think of a cloud, say, covering the top of Mount Mansfield, or the top of Camel's Hump, and thinking of God hearing a trumpet from the top of the mountain, and then God's voice booming, having a warning, do not touch the mountain. You will die. If you brought your dogs or your animals, don't let them touch the mountain. They will die. God said, my spirit will break out against you if you touch the mountain. That's incredible. What an experience. Wouldn't it be hard to be reverent in a situation like that? Now, that's not how it is anymore, right? Hebrews 12, next, next slide. Hebrews 12, this is how we have it. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even as an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. We don't have that anymore. We don't have that anymore. We can worship anywhere now. We can worship, we can meet God in a ballroom in Hilton. That's exciting. We don't have to wait for the tablets to come down from the mountain to look at the law. Right. We can take out our phone. We literally have the law with us always. Think about just a, you know, a couple decades ago. It was, you know, you wouldn't necessarily be carrying your Bible with you everywhere you went. Now you have your Bible always. You have that connection to God. We're not worshiping necessarily in Burlington with a huge throng like the Israelites, the entire nation coming to the base of the mountain. We're worshiping with, you know, a smaller group of people. So what does that mean? What, what does that do? I think what that can do is lead to an underwhelming expectation of the worship experience. It can lead to an underwhelming expectation of the worship experience and we can start to lose the sense, the heart to really want to give ourselves over in worship. Because it's not this mountaintop or mountain base experience. Yet, sometimes we just need to be reminded of what we're doing and get a little inspired, right? Sometimes we just need to get reminded. So I've got a little video to play. Maybe some of you have seen it, but hopefully this will inspire us a little bit. Is there a way to dim the lights? Hey, Mike, are the lights back here?
creation. Even just driving down College Street, I was sitting there going over my notes and seeing, like, look at the lake. And, you know, had she not said that, I would have been in my notes and walked straight into the hotel, but looked at the lake and I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what I'm about to talk about. When we worship, we are worshiping this incredible God. And we walk into a small ballroom with a small group of people 
and we can get disconnected from the majesty of what we're a part of. The majesty of who God is to us and who we are to one another. And the reality is, if we removed this ceiling and just looked up into the sky as it got dark, we just see this, we'd see the, the stars, we'd see God's majesty in creation. Maybe we'd feel a little more connection. So maybe we need to just be meeting outside through the winter too. Um, but yeah, you know, but the, I think what happens is we get disconnected from the epic moments that we're meant to enjoy and worship. And especially with a smaller group in a smaller place. And yet the reality is, next uh, slide if you would, Mike. Hebrews 12. This is the reality. Even though we don't any longer come to a mountain that can't be touched, we do come to Mount Zion, verse 22 in Hebrews 12. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's actually the reality. That is the majesty of the God we serve. And verse 28, Therefore, since we are uh, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I'm hoping that what we can do as we think about worship is we recalibrate our minds and our hearts. And just to the best of our abilities, tap into the awesomeness of God as we sing. And if if you go to the next slide, Mike, there are two of the most common words that are in the Old Testament and the New Testament for worship. In in the Old Testament, it's shaka, which means to prostrate oneself uh, or bow down. It's used 171 times, at least in the uh, New American Standard uh, translation. In the Greek New Testament, it's uh, uh, proskuneo. Again, prostate oneself, kiss the hand. You know when it's like kissing the ring of the king? Um, Kiss the hand, do reverence, adore. Look at the submission and the reverence that these words really mean. Whenever we look at that word worship, it's, there's this reverential, adoring, submissive stance, surrendering stance before our Father. It's amazing. It's powerful. And so I'm hoping that as we dial more into that, when we come in for worship, and I love doing these classes because it makes me rethink my approach to when I come in Sunday morning or Wednesday night. But... If I recognize that worship is to be done with reverence and awe, that and does that mean we can't be casual with one another and be like, no. But that there's a posture in our hearts that's like, I want to give my all in everything I'm doing when it comes to worshiping. I want to be reverent. 
I want to feel that awe in my heart that when it when when it's time to start worshiping, you know, a shepherding type person stops shepherding. A discipling person is stopping she- uh, discipling. You know, if you're texting, you're not texting anymore. You know, um, if you're serving, you stop serving. Well, how do we do that? I don't know. Well, we may have to start it earlier, but it's almost like a Martha and Mary thing, right? Yeah. Let's do what's best. Okay, so maybe the communion's going to have to wait two extra minutes. But just drop everything. You know, easy for me to say. But I think that's the posture. It's like, hey, we're starting to sing. Hey, there's a prayer going on. I'm going to stop talking. And I've been there. I've been in the middle of a conversation. I'm like, oh my goodness, look at that. He's two sentences into a prayer. Or oh, we're, we're half, a, half a verse into a song. But it's, it's, part of it is preparing our hearts, understanding that when we, when we come, we're here to worship. We're coming here to worship with a certain posture in our hearts. That we're entering as a community into our own holy of holies, if you will. We're singing to God and to each other. We're praying together, communing together, and enjoying what is perhaps the most spiritually focused time of our week. So if we understand that and we have a reverence for it, then we're about facilitating that with one another. Amen? And just to kind of close out uh, with a couple very quick points. Two aspects of, of this heart for worship that I want to focus on is one giving to God, that worship, a worshipful heart is one that is ready to give all to God. And uh, go to the next slide, Mike. In Psalm 98, this is an incredible psalm, and it's a song we sing, right? Shout for joy. Um, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, all the earth, burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with Equity. Do you feel the absolute bursting of worship coming out of this song? You know, I love that word burst. It's uh, the word is actually patzach. Um, I don't remember if I have a slide for that. Can you go to the next slide? Okay. Um, it's it's the Hebrew word patzach, and it's the idea of just being filled up to the breaking point. And you know, it's God is like. You remember when Jesus said, hey, if, if they don't praise me, even the rocks themselves will cry out. The concept of the rivers clapping their hands. You guys don't want to sing? That's fine. Just listen to the mountains sing. Because someone's going to praise me. And it's not you. It's going to be the mountains. It's going to be the rivers. God is so inspiring. He should inspire us to make that kind of bursting out into jubilant song. And it's amazing. It doesn't sound... Uh, it sounds loud to me. This psalm sounds loud. Does it sound loud to you? Yeah. You know, it's uh, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Um, it's make music with the harp. Let the sea resound. And what's interesting is that shout for joy to the Lord, some of the earth. Does it say that? 
we're supposed to be all participants in worship. And I don't care what your voice sounds like. I don't care if you couldn't clap on the beat if your family was held at gunpoint. Uh, you know, it's okay. Make a joyful noise, right? And sometimes that's all, that's, that's what we can make. And praise God. That's a beautiful thing. I'm up here and I can hear, you know, especially in the front row, I can hear all different types of tones coming at me in a small group like this. And I'm just like, amen. The musician in me, the musician in me sometimes are like, oh, that makes it a little harder for me to sing, stay on my pitch. But praise Jesus. That's not the important thing. The important thing is that we're all participating. My dad, going to church with him, he used to bellow. Thankfully, he could he could be on pitch. But I struggled when I first came to church in Champaign-Urbana, a little cornerstone church of Christ. The first time I'd experienced a cappella worship, and I struggled because the guy who invited me to church and was studying the Bible with me was just about just a little sharp on his pitch and loud. And he was always next to me because he was my new buddy, right? I was his visitor. And he was just loud, and I was just like, oh, I can't stand this church. I can't, right? I wasn't thinking very spiritually. But I was just all caught up, and then I remember the first time I didn't sit next to him. I sat with some other people I knew, and I sat next to some people, and I was like, oh, I actually like this church. I like these songs, you know? Uh, Very unspiritual thinking, right? The point is, shouting for joy to the earth isn't necessarily pitched, right? Right. Yeah, let's just shout amen on three. Ready? One, two, three. Amen! Right? What key was that in? I don't know. I don't know what key it was. Yeah, G, G flat. Uh, I, I don't know what it was. It's unpitched. It's shouting. It's exulting. It's just an overflow, right? If we got the rivers clapping their hands and the mountains singing together, I think we should join them, right? So I think it's a... The heart of worship is one to participate and to give back to God. Uh, and it's, it's such an opportunity. It's such a privilege. Because there's not many other times probably in your week when you get to just make a joyful noise with, with one another. It's a great bonding moment. And that leads me to our, my last point. Giving to one another is part of the heart of worship. Giving to God and giving to one another. You know, there's a way to also categorize these things. Giving to God is the vertical worship, right? If you want to think of it that way. Even though God is with us, he's also horizontal, he's everywhere. But if you want to think of it that way, that's vertical. Giving to one another is horizontal, right? Horizontal worship. One to another. In Ephesians 5, in verse 18, it says... Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's interesting that the contrast, the the replacement for getting drunk is, hey, be filled with the Spirit. You know, when Jesus talks about don't just sweep out the house and don't put it and don't fill it with something. Don't just not get drunk. Get filled up with something. Get filled with the spirit. And I actually like that. The, it's kind of like the exact opposite of getting drunk is being filled with the spirit. And speaking to one another with psalms, hymns. Why? Why do people get drunk? 
to let loose, forget about their problems, have fun. Maybe other reasons. But I think you can look at the spiritual component of being filled with the Spirit. Singing, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. It's letting loose a little bit, hey? It's, hey, that was my dad. I don't know, that, was like, that was a Dutch phrase, hey? Uh, to let loose, to have fun, to forget our problems. It's not putting blinders on. It's going, hey, I'm just going to give myself over to God and to my brother and my sister. I'm going to consider, I'm going to speak to my brother and my sister in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. To me, that, invo- that, that that's all about communication. And what's interesting is, when you're a song leader, you're seeing everybody communicate as we're singing, right? And guys, I want you to know, we're, we're taking it to heart that we can do some things as a worship team, and we're going to work on it. Part of, that's part of October 18th. We're going to try to unveil some things, if you will. But we know that it's up to us, too, to stimulate that in a really enjoyable, exciting, reverent, fun, energetic, spiritual way. Amen? So I'm not saying it's all on the audience or the, or the group. There really should be no audience anyway, right? We're all just participating together. But it is interesting when you're up here, you can see everybody's, everybody's eyes. You can see everybody's facial expressions. And so it's always interesting. And what I'm, tr- what I'm not trying to do is go, and therefore we need to be better performers. Amen. That's not the lesson. Amen. Yeah. Put on a plastic smile, everybody. That's not it, guys. I'm talking about a heart, a posture, a, a intentionality. That when we come into worship, that there, we are communicating with one another in addition to God. So that doesn't mean being plastic and happy, clappy, and fake. But it does mean that there's a cognizance that we're reflecting Christ to one another and hopefully bouncing some great spiritual excitement off of one another, or depth, or reverence. Because it's, it's a little jarring at times to see someone going, shout for joy, shout, you know, praise the Lord. You know, it's like, amen. I don't want to ju- They may be actually connecting. So if, if it's difficult, what, I'm not judging that one person, but if it's a, it is interesting. I think if we can have some intentionality that goes... I'm coming here to worship. I'm coming here to give to God and to give to my brothers and sisters. And so it's in the same way that you would give if you went out to lunch with that brother or sister. You wouldn't sit there going, hey. I mean, maybe if you're having a really bad day. You know? That can happen. That can happen. So, And that can happen in worship too. And prayerfully that'll be an encouraging time of buoying your spirits. But... Sunday to Sunday, I hope that there is a intentionality. In Hebrews 10, in the next scripture, Mike, in verse 23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. In, in the English Standard Version, that's we may stir up 
one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Why am I bringing that up in the context of worship? I think if we can consider that we're coming together to spur one another on, even in worship, that we're coming together to encourage one another, that we're coming together to stir it up a little. Look at the uh, next slide. It's interesting that word consider means to pay attention, to notice, to observe, to consider, contemplate. The word has a strong implication that the the attention paid is intense and that the contemplation is broad and thorough, resulting in complete understanding. But it's being considerate of one another and even being considerate of God that when we walk in, hey, I'm about to worship. I'm going to get my heart ready to give to God. I'm going to get my heart ready to give to my brother and sister. And it's interesting that that stirring up, um, that spurring on, <laughs> that the, there's a connotation there of sharp disagreement or encouraging, stirring up an inciting or an incitement. Most of those words in that definition there aren't that comfortable to me. Right? Do you like to be incited? <laughs> you know? Spurring on is not a pleasant thing, especially if you're a horse, right? Getting spurred. The literal the literal meaning of that, right? But there is a sense of, hey, let's get out of our comfort zone a little bit and let's encourage one another to give to God and to one another. Look at look at first Corinthians fourteen. This is in the context of of Paul talking to the church about, hey guys, we need orderly worship. This can't just be a free-for-all, right? And in verse 26 he says, what, shall, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And he goes on to talk about, go ahead and share those in an orderly way. But I bring that up to say, check that out. Everyone was coming with something to give. Everyone was coming with something on their heart. Man, I'm here not just to sit. I mean, I got something. And I can't wait to share it to the point where I'm talking over the other person who's sharing theirs. You know, and Paul's like, oh, slow down, everybody. That would be a nice problem to have. Where we're all so desirous of giving one another. Hey, slow down, everybody. You know? That's, I think, what we want. Right? And what's cool is, I think as a, as a worship team, just to close out here, I think as a worship team, we can help facilitate some of these things in a more powerful way, in a more considered way. And I'm just thinking of ideas, but guys, bring those ideas. If you guys have any thoughts, ideas, anything you've observed in seminars, other churches, whatever, any, anything, guys, Anything that would facilitate us being more engaged in worship, please bring it to somebody, bring it to me, bring it to any other member of the worship team. But one of the things that I thought was, and I haven't talked to Mike about this, I'm just throwing this out here, but what if we spent three minutes before every Sunday morning where we dim these lights? Kristen's talked about dimming the lights when we sing. 
And we dim these lights and we just pray and we get quiet for a minute. And may we get our hearts directed towards something, towards the first song. You know, one of the things is that typically we used to, the opening songs tend to have a functionality in the service on a Sunday morning, but they don't have a real heart connection. The functionality is to get everyone to stop talking and get ready for the next song. But they don't typically, they're not real connected. And that's a great problem to have, guys, because people are buzzing and fellowshipping. So that's a great thing. But I'm just saying, what if we just kind of dim the lights, got our hearts focused and centered on God? You know? And that doesn't mean we're going to go into seven ballads in a row, you know, and it'll just all be that. But I think maybe clearing our hearts and our minds a bit. Just trying to think of ways that we can dial in to what we really have in worship. What the experience could be. And finally, I'm going to do a little experiment right now to finish. Um, Another thought I had is, what if we just get a simple directive prayer that we do in our heads before we sing a song about that topic? For example... um, Could I get you on the lights for just a second? So we sang, thank you, Lord, for loving me, right? I'm going to, never done this before. We're family. We're just going to do a little experiment. I'm going to turn that into a ballad, a slow song, just the chorus. Before we sing, thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. We're just going to sing that a few times, but slowly. I'll direct us. Before we do that, I want you to close your eyes and give you two minutes to think of one thing that you're incredibly thankful for. This shouldn't be something you have to grasp for or search. It just one thing that God gave you that is a wonder of God in your life. And I'm going to shut up and think about it for about a minute.
us endeth the class. Do you guys like that? I think if we get directed with some of the songs we sing, and we actually really can dial in to what God, our connection to God, it'll make those things more meaningful. And we're going to focus in on October 18th. We're going to talk about the lyrics of everything that we sing. And I'm praying that we all feel a connection to what we do. But I think we're going to start to introduce that a little more. And I hope we can all just be a little more intentional uh, in our hearts for worship, even this Sunday. Let's see if we can come in with a slightly different mindset, heart set, if you will, when we worship. Amen? Thanks.